BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. And it is time for our monthly news roundup, where I sit down with the rest of the Bay team and talk about some of the other stories that we've been following in the month of February. I'm joined by our producer, Maria Esquinka. What's up, Maria? Hello. Happy to be here. And our senior editor, Alan Montecilio. Hey, Alan. Hey, happy belated year of the dragon. Yes, happy belated Lunar New Year to you both. Just a, I guess, a check in. How are we feeling at this point of the year? <laughs> I feel like February is usually the doldrums. Certainly, it's been a cloudy and rainy few weeks. I think we're just trying to get through the rainy weather while also gearing up for the primary on March 5th. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know. I'm ready for spring i did step outside my door the other day and it like smelled like spring but i think we have some more rain coming this week but i hope you have enjoyed the sunshine lately maria yeah i think we've had like an interesting start to the year (laughs) but i'm excited for um warmer weather Well, yes, spring is coming, the election is coming, and today some of the stories we'll be discussing are definitely election-related, including yours, Alan, out of the South Bay. I'll start with you. What story have you been following this month? Yes, so the California primary is on March 5th. Everyone should have received their ballots by now. There's a great voter guide at kqed.org slash voter guide. And I wanted to talk about a local race in Silicon Valley, specifically the race for state assembly in District 23. So that includes Palo Alto, Mountain View, and West San Jose. And it's a race that could serve as a bit of a referendum on the state's swing towards building more housing. Well, can you talk a little bit more, Alan, about who's running for this seat? There are four candidates, two Democrats, two Republicans. District 23 is a very Democratic district. You know, since this is a primary, the top two advance to the November election, regardless of party. So you could have two Democrats, one Republican, one Democrat. But I think the reason why this race is interesting is because you have a local Democrat challenging a Democratic incumbent. This doesn't happen all that often. I think in Democratic politics, there's very much a kind of wait your turn kind of energy. But the main two Democrats that our colleague Guy Marzorati wanted to focus on is Palo Alto City Council member Lydia Koo, who is challenging the incumbent, Assembly member Mark Berman. And actually, Guy's story starts with this town hall meeting in Palo Alto at a community center. And there's a big sign there that's called 
town hall to save our neighborhoods. And the person leading that town hall, the person hosting that event, was Palo Alto City Council member Lydia Koo. My name is Lydia Koo. I am council member and former mayor of Palo Alto, and I'm running for state assembly. So Lydia Koo is a city council member from Palo Alto, which has the largest block of voters in the 23rd district. And she is part of a coalition of voters in Palo Alto who are really angry at the state for making it easier to build more housing and for reducing the power of cities to block development. Their voices are being diminished or eliminated through these housing laws. And Councilmember Koo isn't shy about saying what she thinks, you know, when when asked about whether 23rd District can put off building new housing because of the number of jobs that have come to the region. She said, well, why do all those jobs need to be here? Diversify, make some incentive for companies to have their headquarters other places versus just all gathered here. Why is it only focused on Mountain View and Palo Alto? So that is a pretty bold move from Lydia Koo to run against an incumbent. Um, I'm curious what Mark Berman is saying in response. How is, how is he responding to her? So Assemblymember Mark Berman has been in office since about 2016. And he has joined many Democrats in the state legislature in pushing for basically a stronger, firmer approach from the state in saying to local cities and towns, hey, you need to get on board with building new housing. You know, he says we have a housing shortage. We have a huge imbalance of housing and jobs here in Silicon Valley. We've done a terrible job in Silicon Valley of creating the housing we need to house all the people that are taking those jobs. And that's just been pushed down on the folks that can least afford it. He even says, too, that it's not just that the state should create more incentives for more housing development. The state needs to also be tough on cities that are pushing back. We want to provide them as many carrots as possible. But for decades, there has been no stick. I think it will be a test to see how strong this anti-development coalition in Palo Alto has gotten. And if there's a real backlash to this sort of, you know, YIMBY pro-housing turn that the state has been taking. Sweet. Well, we'll be watching that race uh, in March. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you. And after the break, we'll discuss my story and Maria's. Stay with us. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
And welcome back to the Bay's News Roundup for the month of February. We're going to get right back into it with producer Maria Eskinka. Maria, what story have you been following this month? Yeah, so a story that I've been following is about Reverend Wanda Johnson. She is Oscar Grant's mother. Most people are probably familiar with the case of Oscar Grant, he was a 22-year-old black man that was shot by a BART police officer on New Year's Day 2009, and his death resulted in a lot of outrage. And after 15 years of asking the DA's office for Oscar Grant's cell phones, she finally got them back. Why has it taken so long? So according to Johnson, she said that she made repeated requests to the district attorney's office for the cell phones. And what was told to her was that the phones were mixed in with other evidence around the case. And so they didn't know which phones uh, was his. And Reverend Wanda Johnson, Oscar Grant's mother, talked about this at a press conference with the current Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price, who returned the phones to Johnson. There was no challenge finding the phones. We know which phones they that actually belonged to Oscar Grant, which phones were cataloged appropriately. Um, It was apparently an act of will not to return the phones to her. And based off uh, the reporting of Oscar Palma, who reported on this for KQED, he did reach out to um, former district attorney Nancy O'Malley, who said no one ever asked her about the phones and that members of her team never brought this issue up to her. And Maria, can you maybe help give us a sense of why this is such a big deal for Wanda Johnson, how does she talk about why this moment 15 years later um, is so important to her? She really talked about how these cell phones almost seem like an extension of Oscar Grant. And I think she really talked about wanting to have these cell phones because of the pictures in them, because there was pictures of Oscar Grant. It was clear from listening to her at the press conference that she was elated that she was very happy she talked about how these phones represent another piece of her life that has been fulfilled that i have me having my son's property and that's all families want all right well maria thank you so much for that thank you And last but not least, we'll talk about my story, which is about how fast food chains are entering the business of local politics in San Jose. The San Jose Spotlight has been reporting on some pretty interesting examples of fast food companies doing all kinds of things, politics in San Jose, from meeting with city council members to donating to a bunch of political campaigns and PACs, and even hiring lobbyists to campaign against certain policies in the city, all, of course, in an election year. So corporations spending money on politics, not really a new thing, but what 
do fast food companies want to accomplish in San Jose specifically? What are they pushing for? Well, San Jose is one of two cities in California right now that is looking into a potential policy to essentially give more worker benefits to fast food workers. And in particular, it would allow fast food workers to accrue paid time off. These workers are really pushing, have been pushing in the last couple of years in California for more rights. And this issue is sort of taking center stage in San Jose. So what are the companies that have been getting involved in this and how? Burger King, the owner of several Popeye's locations, the owners of some McDonald's and some Taco Bell locations have also donated to this pack called the Strong Economy Silicon Valley Pack, which has been running some ads against certain candidates in the race for city council. And also a number of new lobbyists have sort of popped up in the city of San Jose tasked with trying to fight against this potential policy for fast food workers in San Jose. So obviously they're funding or they're, yeah, they're starting to put money into some of these races. How is this impacting local politics right now? So the San Jose Spotlight reported on this story from earlier this month about how the California Fast Food Workers Union, which was established also just this month, recently held a protest of San Jose City Council member David Cohen. He's actually currently running for re-election in a really tight race. And the union was protesting because they argued that Cohen was basically walking back his support of this potential policy to expand fast food worker benefits in San Jose. Um, He's now saying that he's skeptical about how to make this work. And the spotlight reports that he's uh, also one of the counselors who met with the fast food companies uh, in the last three months. Cohen says that he met with them to try and work out something for both sides. But the union believes that Cohen has sort of switched up his position Uh, because of this tight re-election race that he's in against Assemblymember Kansin Chu. And actually, the Strong Economy Silicon Valley PAC, which is funded by a bunch of fast food corporations, has spent $18,000 on ads against Chu. Why do you think this story is happening in San Jose specifically? Yeah, well, that's a great question because there has been a pretty unprecedented labor organizing among fast food workers all around California. But the California Fast Food Workers Union, which again just finally formed this month, has said that San Jose has one of the largest populations of fast food workers in California. And that is part of the reason why San Jose is one of only two cities in the state that are considering this policy that would increase benefits for fast food workers. And so I think this is an example of how the union plans to make more ground in other corners of the state. And if you're you're the companies, I imagine you feel the same way, that you want to defeat 
policies you don't like, candidates you don't like on the local level before it snowballs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, that is it for the Bay's News Roundup for the month of February. Maria and Alan, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. The Bay is a production of listener-supported KQED in San Francisco. And I'm Erica Cruz-Guevara. Thank you so much for listening to The Bay. Talk to you next time. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.